Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, December 14th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news, and we will offer some comic and graphic novel recommendations in a mailbag segment. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's podcast by Slash Film weekend editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. All right, guys. So let's just go ahead and jump into the news. Uh, HT, Vanity Fair wrote an article today, or published an article today, that uh, sort of gave us some insight into the future of the animated Spider-Verse that Sony is working on. And you wrote up an article that sort of broke down all of this information. Uh, What are some of the highlights that you learned there? Yeah, not just the animated Spider-Verse, but all of the spider properties that are under Sony currently. Um, it's some, it's a universe that internally is being called the Sony's Universe of Marvel Characters, or SUMC. Um, and that's something that Amy Pascal, who is the former co-chair of Sony and is now a Sony producer, gave insight to in this profile slash uh, report. So um, some of the updates she gave is that a Sinister Six movie is still happening. So that's the project that has long been gestating and has we've been kind of getting updates on it for the past, I don't know, a few years now. Um, but Amy Pascal said that Sony is still looking to uh, get the ball rolling on that, um, especially if the original screenwriter, Drew Goddard, is uh, set to return. And Drew Goddard, who recently made his most recent directorial outing with um, Bad Times at the El Royale, has expressed interest in going back to the old Sinister Script, script, Sinister Six script that he wrote. (laughs) Yes, a lot of S's right there. Fast, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's interesting. I I had a chance to talk to him earlier this year uh, when he was putting Bad Times at the El Royale together and asked him about Sinister Six, and he seemed like he was, yeah, he was interested in returning to that if Sony were to, you know, give him that call. So it seems like. Both parties are interested there. I wonder if that's actually going to happen because Sinister Six, like you mentioned, that's one of those projects that's been floating around since like the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies were still, uh, you know, up and running. So it's been several years. I mean, five years or something at this point since we since that was like originally announced. So, um, Brad, do you do you want to see a Sinister Six movie at this point? I don't really 
feel like we need a Sinister Six movie where it's just focusing on them. I, I wouldn't mind seeing them, you know, build up to the idea of the Sinister Six, Six being in, you know, uh, Spider-Man together at some point and being this big threat that he has to tackle. But uh, I, I'm fine with not having a movie focusing only on those villains. Yeah, hopefully Goddard has an interesting take there. But um, but what else did you learn, H.C.? Uh, so the other thing we learned is that the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse sequel, which uh, reports confirmed last month, is already in the works of Wonder Woman uh, 1984 screenwriter David Callahan set to pen the script, and Avatar The Last Airbender's Joaquin Dos, Dos Santos set to direct, um, is uh, going to focus on a Miles Morales and Gwen Stacy romance. So uh, this is something that was a thread from Phil Lord's original script for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse that ultimately got cut from this film, but will be picked up in this uh, currently developing sequel. Hmm. And this is uh, something that's been slowly introduced in more recent comics. Uh, Gwen Stacy has been traditionally the love interest for Peter Parker. Um, and uh, we've seen that on screen, too, with The Amazing Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone. But in um, the Marvel Now series, uh, Miles and Gwen have started to build up a flirtation and culminate in a kiss that made the cover of Spider-Man number 12. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Brad, I know you just saw Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse last night. Uh, this movie is out in theaters right now. In lieu of your detailed thoughts about the movie, what do you think about this particular aspect, the, the idea of... Uh, Miles and Gwen getting together in a, in a sequel. Uh, yeah, I mean, it only makes sense. Uh, they, it, it's pretty well hinted at in uh, Into the Spider-Verse that their relationship is going to be a key part of Miles' future and uh, how the franchise continues. Um, it's, it's not quite as overt as, you know, them falling in love or anything, but they clearly have a connection in this movie, and so going that route uh, is really just a logical choice to make. What do you think about it, Aisha? Have you seen Spider-Verse yet, or are you planning to? I haven't. I'm planning to see it this weekend, so I'm very excited. Um, and I have no thoughts on a romance right now, because I don't really know the characters as they are in the movie, mm -hmm. but I'm sure I'll love it, because I'm just a sucker for a romance in general. <laughs> um, was there any other information that you uh, gleaned from this, uh, this Vanity Fair piece? Yeah, Amy Pascal also referred to the future of the Marvel and Sony deal, which currently allows... Um, Marvel to use uh, Peter Peter Parker in Avengers films and to distribute slash um, have creative control over the Tom Holland uh, Spider-Man solo movies. And um, that deal, uh, when it will inevitably expire, uh, Amy Pascal seems to not look forward to that. So we don't know whether they will continue this deal, but Amy Pascal said that she can only hope for a future where things work out. Hmm. Um, Brad, what do you think about, I mean, uh, the details of this deal have been famously uh, kept under lock and key. Like, you know, a, a lot of times deals like this will sort of become public knowledge for entertainment reporters. And we know, you know, this person has X number of movies on their contract and stuff. But the Sony Marvel deal, especially as it relates to Spider-Man, has been pretty quiet. So what do you think about that deal in general at this point? And like, how both parties could move forward if, for example, it were just to come to an end in like 2020 or something. I mean, this is a pretty lucrative deal uh, for both Marvel and Sony. Uh, as we saw, you know, before Sony wasn't really sure what to do with Spider-Man as a live action character. And Marvel really wanted to bring Spider-Man into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I think it works out for both of them and would behoove them to expand and extend that deal somehow. 
Uh, I'm sure Sony now is very hungry to get Spider-Man into a Venom movie now that Venom has turned out to inexplicably be this huge international box office hit. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I can almost guarantee that Amy wants to work something out in, the, in that regards. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's tough to say as to, uh, how it will continue. You don't, we don't really know what Marvel has planned beyond Avengers Endgame at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one more Spider-Man sequel. You would think that they would want a third one, but I would imagine it depends on what Sony wants to do and that kind of thing. At, at the very least, Sony has, you know, this, uh, great new animated world they can play in with, uh, all their Spider-Man characters. So that's good for the time being, but I would imagine they would want to keep, uh, having money roll in with their live action deal. So hopefully they figure out a way to craft a new deal to so that fans can still see Spider-Man in the MCU. Yeah, it seems like it's been a, a pretty um, fruitful collaboration on all fronts so far. I mean, they've got the live action stuff with Tom Holland, which, I mean, he's great as, as the character. And then obviously Spider-Verse is incredible. So we'll talk more about that later. Uh, in the meantime, though, let's talk about our next news story, which is the future of Henry Cavill as Superman. So <laughs> there's been sort of a complicated saga going on about whether or not this actor will return to play Superman in another movie in the DC Extended Universe. And uh, most recently, according to Jason Momoa, who co-starred with Henry Cavill in Justice League last year, Momoa was on the red carpet for the pr- uh, the premiere of Aquaman, and he was asked if Henry Cavill is giving up the role or is he if, he, if he's going to you know stop playing the character. And Jason Momoa says absolutely not. He says he loves the character and he's not 100%. And the reporter even like sort of went back in for clarification saying like, okay, so that's not going to happen. Like he's not going to leave that role. And Momoa again was like, no, he's absolutely not going to leave that role. So this could very well just be a case of an actor not knowing what he's talking about. That kind of happens sometimes here and there. But uh, then again, we don't know. I mean, so just to provide a, a brief recap, because this entire thing is kind of nuts. There's been a lot of speculation about what the future of the DC cinematic universe or whatever you want to call this thing officially is is going to be because uh, there was uh, some reports back in September that Henry Cavill was done playing Superman, saying that Warner Brothers wanted to move the focus away from Superman and instead put the spotlight on a Supergirl movie, which is currently being written right now. And apparently at that time, there were several reports that were saying that negotiations between Henry Cavill and Warner Brothers broke uh, broke down over a cameo appearance in Shazam, which I guess is not going to happen at this point. And there were some whispers that Michael B. Jordan was being eyed to play a new version of Superman, but Henry Cavill's agent quickly came out and said the cape is still in Henry Cavill's closet, and uh, Warner Brothers issued a statement saying like there's no decisions have been made about you know any upcoming Superman movies, but we're we have a great relationship with Henry Cavill. And then Henry Cavill did this bizarre thing where he posted this Instagram video of him wearing a Krypton lifting team t-shirt. And he just like stares at the camera while music plays. And he lifts a Superman uh, action figure into frame and then lowers it out of frame. And that's it. Like, (laughs) so I'm almost like, what the hell are you doing, Henry Cavill? What does this mean? What is happening? So it's all been very, very cryptic. And we don't know 
any like hard details about the future of of whether or not he's going to come back to play this character. So I guess I just want to open up the floor to you guys. What do you think about Henry Cavill as Superman? I know that obviously he hasn't always been in the greatest movies, you know, the greatest, uh, like the, the, the movies around him have not always been the best. But what do you guys think about him and his take on the character? Uh, H.T., what do you think? I think Henry Cavill is actually a great Superman. And he has not been... Um, blessed with good Superman movies, but in the there have been moments where you see that there's so much potential for him as the hero, especially in I remember the first scene, first few scenes in Justice League, and then when he re- re- returns in Justice League. I guess spoilers for people who have not seen Justice, Justice League. <laughs> um, he really shines in that as that character, and you see the the um, I don't know the optimism and the uh, the cheesiness that I think is inherent with Superman. So I I think that he's been he's good in the role. He hasn't really been given the chance to get a good uh, grasp on the character yet. But I would have liked to see him stay just because I think he's, it's good casting, even if his movies have not been great. Yeah, and it's I mean if Jason Momoa is right, then maybe we'll see him again. Um, Brad, what do you think about Cavill's performances? Uh, I think that Cavill is pretty good as Superman, but the the biggest problem is that he hasn't really been given the opportunity to play the Superman that I think people want to see. And we, we got a little bit of a taste of that in Justice League, uh, where he was a little bit more playful, a little bit more fun after he went bad for that scene and fought everybody else in the Justice League. Um, but at this point, I, I almost would rather just see Henry Cavill do other things. You know, he was fantastic in Mission Impossible. Um, you know, he's got that new Netflix series, The Witcher, coming up. And so I feel like just letting him go and do something else is probably best for him and for the DC Universe at this point. I think, I think the further that they start to venture out from what they tried to do before with the DC Extended Universe is probably better for DC overall. So maybe letting him go and just moving forward and getting a new Superman is the uh, the best approach. Yeah, it's interesting because I think based on the schedule that Warner Brothers and DC have lined up, the earliest we would realistically see a Man of Steel sequel is 2021 at this point. And I think <laughs> Man of Steel came out in 2013. So that's like that's eight years. That's like almost 10 years after, um, you know, after the first movie. And obviously he's been in several movies and in key roles before, but like primarily like a, a full-on Superman sequel, um, yeah, it's going to be a while before we get to that. So I wonder if they're going to keep him around or if Brad says they're going to end up going with somebody else. But um, let's talk about another sequel. Let's talk about Jurassic World 3. Uh, Brad, you wrote this article um, talking about the future of the Jurassic World franchise and, and what fans can or, and in this case, cannot expect to see in the next entry in that uh, in that world. What do we know? At the end of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom... Uh, We're left with the prospect of the fact that there are now dinosaurs roaming around uh, in the wild. They were were let out so that they didn't die from this poisonous gas that had infiltrated the the manner in which the the climax of the movie takes place. Uh, And we were left with the idea that there are now, you know, all sorts of dinosaurs, raptors and uh, Tyrannosaurus rex and Triceratops, all these things just out in the wild where anybody can stumble upon them. Uh, and the credit scene after Fallen Kingdom went even a little bit further and showed a couple of pteranodons flying around the Eiffel Tower replica in Las Vegas. And for a lot of people, that seemed to hint at the idea that we were going to get a sort of a, uh, a Godzilla kind of Jurassic World movie where dinosaurs would be attacking people in cities and neighborhoods and people were going to have to deal with that. But according to director Colin Trevorrow, who recently spoke with uh, Jurassic Outpost for an extensive exclusive interview... 
Uh, he says that that's not really what they're going for, and the idea of them terrorizing a city doesn't really um, make much sense to them. And so what he says is, quote, the world I get excited about is the one where it's possible that a dinosaur might run out in front of your car on a foggy back road or invade your campground looking for food. A world where dinosaur interaction is unlikely but possible, the same way we watch out for bears or sharks. We hunt animals, we traffic them, we herd them, we breed them. We invade their territory and pay for the price, but we don't go to war with them. If that were the, were the case, we'd have lost that war a long time ago. So it sounds like we're not going to get a movie where dinosaurs are necessarily made out to be monsters, but just something maybe like a, a man versus nature sort of thriller where dinosaurs might show up and create problems for people here and there. And maybe it's up to Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard, who are confirming for the movie, to maybe try and round them up again and keep them keep them safe, or maybe we just have to deal with the fact that there's now dinosaurs in the world. Um, so it's th that's an interesting idea, and he does talk about the idea of kind of uh, connecting it back to the source material to the original Jurassic Park. So I, I imagine he's talking about getting the kinds of scenes that we did in the first movie, where the you know the T Rex escapes his his pen in the rain, and there's raptors out in the middle of the jungle that can chase you down. Mm -hmm. So that sounds enticing, but I just it, it feels again just like treading territory we've already gone before, and in a way that doesn't necessarily feel like it furthers the franchise in an, in an interesting way. So I don't know. I'm I, obviously I will see whatever they have in store for this what will likely be uh, the final Jurassic Park movie for a while, but I just I'm I'm skeptical. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I really I'm on record as really not liking Fallen Kingdom at all. But I think the the parts that gave me like a flicker of interest were the very end of the movie when, I mean, as you've already indicated, it, the, that world is set up where like the dinosaurs are infiltrating the human world in a way that on a scale that we haven't seen before. So I don't know, HT, what did you ever see Fallen Kingdom? I did. I didn't hate it as much as everyone else on this podcast did. I thought it was very visually stunning, but um, yeah, I don't really know what it means for the world now that the dinosaurs are out in the real world, so, so to speak. So um, I'm not really sure how they will tackle this if not for dinosaurs attacking cities, but I guess that would be too, like, Godzilla. Yeah, the, um, hmm. Uh, Brad, you have, like, any... Any idea, any pitches for like what you want to see based on Trevorrow's comments here? Like how you think this movie could actually go? I mean, I, I suppose I could see them leaning into like maybe the the horror aspect of it in the way that Jay Bayona did by, you know, maybe having, uh, you know, some uh, like he talks about, you know, like like a campsite all of a sudden. Uh, terrorized by by dinosaurs, something like that. I, I don't know. All all the ideas that I picture are really just scenes, right, you know, right. that in a movie, but that don't really make up a cohesive story. So unless the story is just uh, we have to get these dinosaurs back so they stop terrorizing people, that then I, I don't really know because I, I just don't know how you come up with a satisfying conclusion to a movie like this uh, that ties in with the the, the theme, the idea of you know man versus nature and life finding a way and all this stuff and you know having it make sense yeah and like the idea of, of going around and rounding them all up that just sounds kind of tedious and it sounds almost like the 
you know, like, you know, there's the, the life imitating art phrase. It's almost like movies would be imitating video games at that point because it's of like Jurassic world alive, you know, like that, that is basically what you do in the mobile game is just like wander around and like capture dinosaurs. So for the lead characters in the franchise to have to resort to doing that in, in the final movie, um, I don't know. That seems a little underwhelming, but I'm, I'm sure they have uh, a lot more in store. So we'll keep you guys posted on that. Um, in the meantime, our last news item is that uh, Legendary wants to make movies and TV shows with their favorite uh, favorite Image Comics creators. So Brian K. Vaughn, Kelly Sue DeConnick, and Matt Fraction have all signed deals with Legendary Entertainment to produce uh, adaptations of some of their beloved comic properties and create original content for Legendary as well. So for Brian K. Vaughn, he just signed an eight-figure deal for three years with Legendary Entertainment where he's going to be, like I said, adapting his previous work and creating new titles. Um, This is the biggest overall film and TV pact for a comic book creator ever. So that's a pretty big deal. And for those who don't know, Brian K. Vaughn is like a a rock star in the world of comics. Uh, He is responsible for, or at least partially responsible for, Why the Last Man, Saga, Paper Girls, Ex Machina, Runaways. I mean, he is like one of the premier storytellers in that medium. And for him to, you know, he he also is one of these guys who's very, very protective of his work. You know, the Why the Last Man is actually supposed to be coming to FX as a TV show, but it, that, that property spent years in development uh, at various movie studios and things like that because uh, they couldn't quite crack it. And um, Brian K. Vaughn, uh, who also is... Uh, one of the writers of Saga is, or the primary writer of Saga actually, has like been on record multiple times saying, we don't want to make this into a movie. But now he has this deal at Legendary, and it sounds like they're giving him the freedom to be able to handle these creator-owned properties the way that he wants to handle them. So we don't know anything specific about the projects that he's working on yet, but uh, that sounds like you know we might actually see a Saga TV show or some other amazing adaptation of his work. So I'm very excited about this. He also uh, was a writer on Lost, and he worked on CBS's Under the Dome, so he has a lot of uh, credits outside of the world of comics as well. Um, Kelly's, Kelly Sue DeConnick is probably best known for revamping Captain Marvel, and you know her. Uh, comic run provided the basis for Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel, the the new Brie Larson movie that's coming out. And Matt Fraction has done a lot of work on Hawkeye, and um, he has uh, Casanova, and he also is a co-writer of Sex Criminals. on. So he has that on his resume. And um, I, I thought this would be a good opportunity to transition into yesterday on the podcast, we did a mailbag, a big mailbag episode. And one of the things that we talked about ran for like 15, one of the segments that we talked about ran for like 15 minutes and it was too long to include in yesterday's episode, but it actually was about comics and graphic novels and recommendations and stuff. And we actually mentioned several of these creators and their works in that segment. So I thought it was a cool lead in just to, uh, to point out to everybody that these deals are in the works at legendary. So we might be seeing some cool projects coming from these people. And now, uh, I will transition into the segment that didn't make the cut yesterday, but here are some graphic novel suggestions from us on the podcast. Here we go. Michael O in Nashville, Tennessee writes in, he's wondering if you guys could recommend your favorite comic books slash graphic novels. Some of my favorite series include The Walking Dead, Saga, Why the Last Man, I Need More to Read. Uh, thanks a bunch. I'm addicted to the podcast. Um, 
I think I've talked a lot recently about reading Ultimate Spider-Man, specifically the Miles Morales, uh, Brian Michael Bendis uh, arc of that, and I'm still binging my way through that. I'm I'm loving it. I can't highly recommend that enough. Uh, in recent years, I've been more addicted to, uh, you know, uh, comic books not about superheroes. So, like, Image does a lot of great comic books. I like... Uh, they did this comic book a few years back called Alex and Alda, which was about a, a, a love story between a, a man and a robot, uh, an artificial being. It was it was very interesting. I would like to see that turned into a movie, actually. Uh, Letter 44, I think I've talked about in the podcast before, which is uh, we realize that uh, it's hard to 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 pitch letter 44 without ruining it ruining it but we kind of realized after like a bush or trump like president uh, is uh replaced in office the next president comes on board and is briefed that the aliens are probably on the way and that that that, uh, that you know it's something that's going to have have to be immediately prepared for and it, it's very it's not a war thing it's more very weird sci-fi if you like saga i would recommend it um descender is another one i like 100 bullets was uh one that i used to read and i i think that could make a great tv series i think they've tried to adapt it a few times uh killer be killed is another one that's hard to explain but it's kind of about a vigilante who needs to kill people for some reason that i don't want to spoil or else he will be killed hence the title um and I also like, you know, like Scott Pilgrim. I like more personal, like, graphic novels. Like, there was this graphic novel called Blankets, which is, like, this huge Bible-sized book. Um, HT, if you haven't read this, actually, Ben, too. I think both of you would like this. This is about, um, it's an autobiogra- uh, autobiographical uh, graphic novel about uh, this guy growing up. He was in a very religious family, and it's about it's a coming of age story of him finding his first love, and it's so sweet. And it's uh, I don't know, it's just so great. And uh, I believe it's in black and white. It's not colored. Uh, Jacob, uh, do you have any suggestions? Yeah, I have too many suggestions. <laughs> first of all, I will echo everything Peter recommended. Everything he said is good and worth reading. Uh, so, uh, Michael, since you like Why the Last Man Saga, I'll recommend two more Brian K. Vaughn comics. Let me pull up my list. I'll recommend Paper Girls, which is an 80s set sci-fi story about a group of um, girls who deliver newspapers who uncover time travel and interdimensional invasions and monsters and creatures. And it goes some some very wild places very quickly. It is like Stranger Things like, without, the, without letting you down in season two. It is really incredible and really fun. It has that... Brian K. Vaughn mix of comedy, you know, and horror and sci-fi, and uh, Cliff Chang's art is amazing. Uh, if you also uh, another Brian K. Vaughn one, this one uh, with art by Tony Harris, Ex Machina. The basic gist here is that in an alternate reality, uh, the second uh, World Trade Center tower was saved by a superhero, who then uses his newfound clout to become elected mayor of New York City. So it flashes back between his career as a superhero and his time trying to run. New York as, as like a mayor who's woefully underqualified uh, for the job. It is very political, very dark, very cynical, and it's actually one of the most thoughtful post 9-11 pieces of art I've ever encountered. Uh, my favorite comic of all time is Bone by Jeff Smith. It is uh, it is very much an old-fashioned adventure story. It starts out very, very funny, 
gets more serious as it goes along. Think Looney Tunes meets Lord of the Rings made by Pixar, except it's a comic. It is beautiful and lovely. And you can buy the whole series in one book for 40 bucks. It is the best 40 bucks you'll ever spend. I'll recommend Chew, a comedy mystery series about a man with the power to see the past of anything he, he, anything he bites or ingests. So he's a detective, and he uses his powers to... Um, Solve mysteries. It is very much issue based. Each issue is its own complete story, but it all builds to one ongoing science fiction epic where things get really crazy and really funny and ultimately really dark. It is a very, very dark series, despite its very goofy setup and, uh, and tone. I really recommend it. That is uh, written by John Lehman with art by Rob Guillory. I uh, recommend The Sixth Gun which is a supernatural Western series about uh, cowboys facing off against all kinds of monsters and demons and creatures. It is uh, from uh, writer Colin Bunn and Brian Hurt. It is incredibly fun. I feel like it is uh, one of the most adventurous and exciting series I've ever encountered. It is all compl- it's all finished now, so you can read it all if you wanted to. That's Six Six Gun. Uh, Scalped. It's, uh, this is one they've been trying to talk, talk about making into a TV show for a long time. A uh, noir police detective story set on a Native American reservation in the United States where an undercover FBI agent um, infiltrates a crime ring on a on a um, Native American reservation where he grew up. And it's really, really good and powerful and has some social commentary. It delves into the problems with reservations and how the people there are are neglected and abused uh, by by the country. It's very much the wire set in a, in a reservation instead of in Baltimore. Uh, for On the for horror end, uh, Fatale by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. This is, imagine a 1940s film noir story mashed with H.P. Lovecraft horror. It is really scary and really good with really gnarly, gross art. And if you like noir or horror or even both, it is just uh, an immaculate, delicious little thing. And it's also short. I think it's only 20 issues. You can read through it really quickly. An ongoing series, Lazarus. This is Hunger Games meets Game of Thrones. Uh, in the future, a handful of families run the entire world. What happens when they go to war? Uh, so this is sort of a political intrigue slash war story uh, set uh, if Game of Thrones was in the future and it was an entire Earth instead of just uh, one continent. That's what Lazarus is. Uh, East of West, really wild Western sci-fi alternate history. Um, go and blind, stick with it. It's worth the time. A trilogy of Rick Remender comics. He's one of, the, he's one of these, a very, very in-demand writer right now. Fear Agent, really pulpy, heartfelt, hard-hitting sci-fi. Um, sort of uses the language of old-school 50s science fiction while ingesting it with um, like really modern human emotion and uh, concepts. His Deadly Class becoming a sci-fi series soon. Essentially Harry Potter with Assassins. Uh, very, very good. Black Science, uh, about people traveling through alternate dimensions, uh, trying to save the world and the universe and making it worse. Really, really bleak, really, really thoughtful, imaginative sci-fi. Almost there, guys. Uh, Mind (laughs) Management. Uh, Matt Kent's really brilliant and now finished series about a top-secret government agency that essentially controls the world. Uh, It is a mystery that unveils itself at its own pace. You You will not regret picking it up and taking your time with it, but in the first arc, you will be hooked. The Wicked and the Vine. What if ancient gods resurrect themselves as pop stars? It's really, really good, and it goes places you would not expect from that premise. And finally, since it's becoming a TV show uh, next year, Alan Moore's Run on a Swamp Thing is the best superhero comic of all time. Uh, I think it's required reading, and it is... You don't even have to be a DC fan. It, it's ties to the DC universe are very loose. 
but it is the most beautiful, thoughtful, outrageous, trippy, crazy thing that DC ever published, and I love it to death. Yeah, I definitely second Paper Girls. Um, that That's a great series. Uh, ben, uh, comics you would recommend? I mean, there's no way to follow up Jacob on this one. Um, I would just echo uh, what a, a lot of what's already been said. Uh, Why the Last Man is great. Saga is great. I'm I'm still, I think, like eight issues into that, and it's terrific so far. Uh, Scott Pilgrim is is always really fun to read. Um, I love Watchmen. That's one that I, you know, I read for the first time probably 15 years ago, and and really like fell in love with the way that that story is structured. Uh, Preacher is another one that I loved. I think I read it for the first time 12 years ago and I'm, I haven't read it since. So I don't know if I've, <laughs> if, if I would, if <laughs> I would react to that story the same way in our, in our culture now, uh, as I did then. So I don't know, I guess like a loose recommendation. The story is of preacher is really great, but it's like wildly offensive and meant to be so. Um, so if you can handle that, then maybe give that one a shot if you haven't read that yet. But yeah, I, I've just, I'm sort of like Michael in that I've only read a lot of these, um, you know, the, the quote unquote classic modern graphic novels. So I'm probably going to try to take a lot of these recommendations for myself as well. Then you should really read uh blankets. I feel like, I feel like you dig that. Um, HD comics you'd recommend. Yeah, I haven't read nearly as many comics as all of you. I, re- I spent a lot of my uh, teen years reading manga. So if you want some manga recommendations, I could probably give some as well. Um, but my uh, favorite uh, comic is probably Matt Fraction and David David Aja's Hawkeye. Um, and that's just that's a series about Clinton Barton on his off time from being an Avenger. And he is kind of a dumpster fire person, but can't stop saving people. And it's just this <laughs> fun, um, like charming and delightful series that's so funny and so well drawn and uh, like very like simplistically drawn graphically, but a really uh, engaging series that is one of my favorites um and then another one is uh the sandman by neil gaiman one of like his early masterpiece uh which i had read i think like the first 10 trades of it and it it keeps it went on for quite a while but um it's uh, about you know the sandman the manifestation of dream aka morpheus and his uh sort of adventures as he uh leaves escapes from captivity after uh, se- several decades and comes back and decide and tries to rebuild his kingdom and you see him meet with his other um, endless sort of siblings which are like destiny and death and the, like the personifications of such concepts and uh, it's the really interesting thing is that in early issues it was more tied into like the DC comics universe so you see um, appearances from characters like John Constantine or Elemental Girl, and uh, but then later on it just gets weirder, and Neil Gaiman he gets more freedom to do <laughs> what he wants to do, and it's a very it's such a great uh, series. I'm sure you've probably read it because it's so famous, but um, I when I was reading it, it left such an impact on me and gave me a lot of nightmares too. I definitely don't recommend <laughs> reading it right before you go to bed because it's some of them can get quite disturbing. But if you guys want some manga recommendations, yes, we know. do. Oh, okay. Well, um, my favorite manga is probably uh, Roroni Kenshin, which uh, is one of the sort of classic mangas. Uh, It's written by um, Seijiro Hiko, 
and it follows a wandering ronin in the 11th year of the Meiji period, and he's a former assassin who uh, has declared that he will only be a pacifist, so he wields a sword that is a blunt-edged sword, and um, basically kind of becomes friends with this girl who is a a daughter of a dojo master, and uh, she, they go on adventures and he ultimately like more of his past gets revealed it's so good and i like i love the manga a lot more than i like the anime series because a lot like a lot of anime series they kind of drag the fights on for a long time but with manga you can just kind of skim through them but it's a really well done series that um is quite tragic in a lot of parts too um and then i also recommend xxxholic by clamp um that's a more sort of like mainstream kind of ghost stories anthology type of series where it follows um, a character who can see spirits and ghosts and uh, strikes a deal with this woman who is a sorceress or a witch of some sort uh, to become like her maid essentially. And she'll keep his ghosts away while he does other um, like tasks and sees her other pay- uh, clients and everything. It's a great series. It gets kind of a little bit convoluted towards the end, but I really enjoy the first half of it where it kind of gets into the small ghost stories and the smaller stories. Um, Full Metal Alchemist is great as well. The anime is excellent, both um, the original and Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, but the manga is so well written and so um, expansive and sweeping. So I highly recommend that one for a good gateway one. Um, and if you want a romance, uh, I read a lot of romance manga uh, when I was growing <laughs> up. So Fruits Basket is a great one. That's a good coming of age high school romance about a girl who um, stumbles into a family that when they get hugged, they turn into an animal of the Zodiac. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Wow. It, 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 manga can get weird, but I, I recommend all of these highly. And um if you ever want to get dive into manga, these are good starter packs as well. I feel like we should have you do a a, a like a feature post on like recommending like you know it doesn't have to be a, a ser- like a, you know a series or anything, but like I feel yeah. like I would love to read about you know the best manga that you've read, kind of post. I mean, I do have like a whole right. I have a catalog of like best <laughs> manga, and I remember I have I like I, I have them still like. T- like tabbed and, and bookmarked really? which manga is my favorite and stuff so <laughs> i could potentially write this yeah. story at some point so maybe coming to slash in the future uh your mention of matt fraction reminded me that he does a series with chip zardarsky is that how you pronounce it jacob zardarsky i think so yeah um it's called sex criminals and it's like if you like fight club and you like David Fincher, and you like that kind of like stuff. I feel like this is the comic book for you. If Paul was a librarian and an actor who meet at a party, and after sleeping together, realize that when they orgasm, they share the ability to freeze time, and uh, they use this ability to become criminals. So it's a uh, it's really good. Yeah, <laughs> and it's really deep too. Like it's it's not. Um, you know, it's really uh, insightful. It sounds yeah. like a dirty joke, but it ends up being a, a comic about um, sexual compatibility. It's like, yeah, they can both freeze time when they orgasm, but until they found each other, they would they didn't find anybody else who could share it with them, and now they can. Now they rob banks. Yeah. 
<laughs> and what's also great is in the um, the letters to the editor section it is instead of a normal letters to the editor section that they do in comic books, it's uh, sex advice, which is uh, always fun to read. <laughs> but uh, because it's you know sex advice for comic book geeks instead of like you know the usual whatever what I assume you would read in Playboy or whatever. All right. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. To wrap up, where can people find more of your work? HT, let's start with you. You can find me writing every day at SlashFilm.com, I'm on, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. Brad? Always SlashFilm.com, also online at Ethan underscore Anderton on Twitter, and my podcast, Go Flix Yourself, available on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears, and you can find more about all the stories we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find at the site. You can subscribe to SlashFilm Daily on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and be sure to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, or life advice requests from Chris Evangelista to peter at slashfilm.com and make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Also, don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. That really does help us out a lot. Tell your friends about the show. Spread the word. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you on Monday.